<laughs> we have some old school Ozzy Osbourne to introduce us today. And what better song in today's climate? But Warpigs, classic. I know our, our motif is typically with the 90s hip-hop, which I love it. But the way that things have been going the past couple weeks, the fact that it basically looks like there's no end in sight for the for the most no. part i mean there's another meeting i guess scheduled to take place between the two countries we're talking about ukraine and russia by the way um that's supposed to take place on monday but in reality i mean i don't think much is going to come from this just another stalemate yeah that's that's what it's uh that's what it seems to be looking like and i'm, I'm glad you had to you know put that qualifier in there that talking about russia and ukraine because uh at any given point in this tinderbox that we're living in nowadays uh it could be iran israel um china taiwan north korea god knows who so it's just uh it's it's a bit nightmarish and you're right there is no end in sight at any time soon and i think i, I literally think and not to sound so pessimistic about it but i think we're, we really are in the beginning stages of this and i and i think this is definitely going to turn into a wider conflict Oh, much wider. And the thing is, is now you're starting to see the UN um, is coming forward and saying that we're basically on the brink, and we hate to say it, but we're on the brink of nuclear war. I mean, things could get very, very messy very, very soon. Yeah. And it's something that we talked about last week. You know, it's like we joke around and see that Russia's having a tough time kind of in invading Ukraine. And even, you know, representatives from Russia have come forward and said that this is taking much longer than they had anticipated. But yeah. The fact is, is that, you know, we look at some of the the weaponry that they're kind of invading Ukraine with, but we know that they have much more sophisticated and much more capable weapons in their arsenal. And that's the scary part about it. Yeah. Yes, they do. And that's that's what they're saving graces right now, because the ground war they are losing big time. They are getting the literal shit kicked out of them right now in the ground in the ground war. Um, I, I'm, I'm actually very surprised at at Russia's poor performance in the ground war, and you know part of that you do have to you, you know you you do have to throw the the two big variables in there, which is number one, Ukraine was occupied by the USSR back during the days of communism. So they know what that's like. They, they know what, what that, what that particular time was like. And they know that they don't want to go back to it. Now, obviously a lot of the young people, I mean, you could even say people our age in their early to mid forties, uh, probably aren't too familiar with that particular time frame. but I know that the generation before them and the one before them are, are very familiar with what communism had to offer. And so that will to fight to 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 not go back to that those horrific memories um, is is reason enough for them to to really kick the shit out of the Russians for for what they're trying to do to their country. And yeah, number two is just like okay. just like in any other case, never try to invade a free country. Don't. It's it's not going to turn out well for you at all. Um, it, it, we've seen it time and time again. I mean, from our own history in the Revolutionary War, when you know we we fought for our independence, we fought the strongest military at the time in the world. And yes, we got help from the French and and uh, we got assistance from other countries as well. But we fought and won, and it, it was a bloody battle, and and we we fought to the death. And you're seeing that you're seeing the same thing from Ukrainians, and they're 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 one one group of tough sons of bitches. I'll tell you that much. Just today on, on the news, they interviewed this 70 some odd year old grandmother and said that if she had Putin right in front of her, she'd strangle him to death um, without, without missing a beat whatsoever. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, talking about Russia occupying Ukraine, this is definitely a point of their history that they would like to forget. Speaking of memories to forget, what is today's poison, sir? Today's poison is I'm sticking to it. I think it's very it's perfect for for these past couple of weeks that we've had. So I don't need a ride. I need more ammunition. So ammunition bourbon. All right. I'm going to stick with the Basil Hayden's bourbon. Beautiful. Um, it's been uh, doing me well. Uh, I had to tap in. I had the, the 1792. Still have a little bit left, but not much. My girlfriend and I, we bought a, a smoker. 
You ever seen nice. like the, the smoke drinks? Yes. We were uh, we were at a restaurant and there was there, there was one that I ordered that came out and they they took the lid off in front of me. I wasn't expecting it. I was like, wow, this is great. And it tasted, it does something to the taste, you know? So yeah. I made, uh, there were some old fashions and added uh, cherry wood, which I thought would be the uh, okay. perfect one because what are you garnishing an old fashioned with and muddling the cherries, you know? Yep. Exactly. Let's see if we get a good good music out of this one a oh, little subtle little subtle. but there yeah there you go lamo yeah it works yeah <laughs> there's worse things in the world at this there's point there's much <laughs> worse things in the world it's funny you say that story because uh, a, a former co-worker um he retired uh beginning of the year but his his wife is ukrainian family still over there and i guess salute by the way salute my friend cheers yes it's good smooth good smooth mm-hmm. bourbon right there so what i was saying is um i guess so her parents so she's got brothers that are still over there and they did what they could to try to get their their 80 some odd year old parents from whatever major city it was because it was starting to get under attack, which most of the major cities by now are. And they, uh, they, they got them out. And then finally they got to the point they're like, listen, 80 some odd years old. And you're talking about fighters, what kind of fighters these people are like, we're going back because that's our home. So they go back to it and their sole purpose, 80 some odd years old is to manufacture Molotov cocktails. (laughs) But it's crazy because you look at like what a lot of just like here you know it's pretty much standard worldwide what, what would we have more of now than we had 10 years ago breweries right and distilleries yeah. i feel like every every town has one if not two and it's the same way over there apparently and a lot of their uh, the breweries and distilleries have turned to making molotov cocktails for distribution to battle uh-huh. meanwhile i look and there's like a local soda company around here that made like Putin punch. <laughs> that's as far as they got. Oh, that's great. Complete. Well, I mean, if they, they consider the vodka that, that they drink over there. Um, Gasoline. Exactly. Could decrease an engine with that shit. Yeah. But it's that's kind no of funny. Joke. You look at, not that there's anything funny at all about war. It's a poor choice of words. But yeah, the ironic thing we'll say is you basically they go in and they try to destroy this country only to make it theirs. So it's like, basically like you go in with a pickaxe and I totally destroy your truck. And I say that it's mine. At that yeah, point, you're like, I, I can take it. <laughs> I mean, I'm not saying people are going to say, take it, take it as far as the land, but it's interesting concept, right? You destroy a place completely in, in trying to make it your own. And then what did you inherit? You inherited something that's, doesn't have the infrastructure you would think that you once wanted it for. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's, I, I just don't, I mean, other than, you know, occupying the territory altogether just for the natural resources. I mean, you can certainly make an argument, you can make a very good argument for that with Ukraine, as we talked about in past episodes in terms of what they contribute to the world market altogether. But it just, I mean, in terms of like moving their own people into those cities, I mean, shit, you got to start from scratch from the ground up. I mean, you've basically obliterated all these buildings. They're, they're completely uninhabitable. Right. And so, hospitals. you know, what exactly are you accomplishing by doing that? But the thing is, is that, you know, what, sure, they, they might have leveled some of these buildings, but they haven't exactly gained full control of the cities altogether. They have apparently have a couple of them. But of all the cities that they're attacking right now, Ukrainians are holding their own. And um, there's a, I forgot who it was that, that was talking on one of the news channels earlier. And he was saying that like, you know, these bombed out buildings that are just like rubble that provide great hiding spots for snipers to take shots, to take free shots at, at, at soldiers out in the open. I mean, that that's probably one of the most, one of the most feared concepts in warfare is knowing that there may or may not be a sniper somewhere out there a couple hundred yards away 
maybe a little more that has you in their sights and you'll drop dead before you even hear that shot. So if you're, if you're providing a good breeding ground for that, that's, it's not going to turn out well for you. Right. It's like a classic scene. Remember like saving private Ryan, like those, those were yep. always the areas that were just like, you expect them to be bombed out. But then, you know, it's like the scene where like, uh, Vin Diesel, right. He's reaching up with a little girl and all of a sudden that shot comes yeah. in. He's laying there dying. Yeah. Puts himself out in the open. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So where do you want to start, man? We got, we got a lot to talk about. I mean, we've touched on the, uh, the UN chief, uh, addressing the prospect of nuclear war. Um, yeah. I'm not sure what we could add to that, but in, in just saying that this is with the number of countries that are becoming involved in this whole thing and the sanctions that we're putting in, in basically everybody that's involved in this whole thing is a nuclear power, right? I mean, there really isn't, there's no third world power. And you catching these, these stories that they're starting to talk about where like, I guess Russia is telling its people basically giving this idea that there's weapons of mass destruction that are, they're being manufactured in Ukraine. Does this sound familiar? (laughs) Yeah, it does eerily. (laughs) And it still involves us in one way, shape or form. Right. But the thing is, is, I mean, there's good, evidence that one would think to support the idea that the United States is involved in some kind of bio research in Ukraine. Because one of the things from the Wuhan lab, if we want to go back to COVID, right, there was a lot that was being talked about. And Rand Paul, I think, even challenged Fauci on the whole thing because the whether his organization was helping to fund gain of gain what was it gain of function gain of function research, gain of function research um for um, infections in this lab that they had ties to. So yep. it's not out of the realm of possibility that this is not our only air, you know, this isn't the only one. You know, oh, like, the CDC like in Atlanta like, has the CDC in Atlanta has, has <laughs> almost every known horrible human pathogen known to mankind. Um, I, I mean, from Ebola to, to weaponized smallpox, to, to anthrax, everything. I, I mean, why would people get so excited about a weapons lab in Ukraine? I mean, most of these pathogens don't do well when they're exposed to ambient air or even, you know, freezing temperatures or, or extremely high temperatures. I don't worry too much about them being bombed or something like that. If they're now, let's, let's say, hypothetically speaking, there is a weapons lab there or something like that, or some sort of uh, research lab for these zoonotic pathogens. I don't worry too much about those, to be quite honest. Um, I, what I worry about is the use of chemical weapons, the use of things like nuclear weapons, like even like dirty bombs or something like that. Um, that, that those worry me a lot more than, than some sort of, hypothetical weapons labs. And I, I don't know enough about them and what they did at these places to really have a good comment, to be quite honest. But if people are so worried about that, they should really look to see what our own CDC stores and studies on, on a regular basis. Mm. And that's been going on for years. That That's nothing new. It's just studying emerging and emerging pathogens throughout the world, potentially for for research and for treatments in case you do have a, you know, a, a, a pandemic of something like or you do have a, a, um, a biological attack from a foreign adversary for weaponized smallpox or anthrax or something like that. Um, it, you know, those, those things are very real. And, and what people have to realize, or what people don't realize here, and I know this because I, I worked on these, these mini projects when I was in clinical practice at both hospitals that I was at, was looking at our, at our stockpile of drugs to treat um, biological, chemical, and nuclear attacks. So there's some hospitals within certain regions of the United States that are designated these, uh, whatever you want to call them, these, I don't know, emergency. They have like the, these emergency caches of medications to treat the, these different types of, of horrific man-made disasters that, that can occur. Um, so I had to keep track of, of what our inventory was. Um, to make sure that it was enough for at least all of the employees of the hospital uh, to treat for at least 72 hours. 
in order to give the CDC enough time to come back and replenish our stockpile and try to treat the, the and try to assist with treating the general population. I mean, we had things like potassium iodide in case of, of nuclear attacks. Um, we had bags of saline, we had bags of dextrose, we had uh, doxycycline and Cipro for anthrax. We had, um, we had smallpox vaccines and antibodies. We had all sorts of stuff. I mean, people have no idea the type of shit that, that goes on with, with some of these things. Like I'm looking at this, I'm like, oh my God, I am in charge of, of ensuring that none of these medications expire and to make sure that we have enough for all of our employees at the hospital to, in case we have mass casualty events. And you're that's pretty fucking because there is, there's always a possibility, right? You don't prepare yeah, for something absolutely. that's never ever going to happen or, or that doesn't happen. You know, it's interesting, you know, you bring up chemical warfare and, you know, one of the reasons that we invaded Iraq was because there was the idea that there was weapons of mass destruction. But if you want to go back even further into Iraq's history, you know, one of the reasons that we went into Iraq in the first place in the early 90s, there was always that gassing of the Kurds in the north, right? So we are seeing... Iraq being attacked in the north in another degree with Iran basically lobbing missiles into into areas that are housing uh, even in the United States consulate in, in Iraq. Mm-hmm. And um, maybe you could shed some light on that because it's an article that you shared with me and seeing that there was like 12 missiles that hurt Erbil. Erbil? Yeah, Erbil. Erbil? Yeah. And some so only material the damage once a civilian was injured, no fatalities, um, no damage to any US, U.S. facilities. But the fact that they are they're doing what what would have brought this uh, this whole idea into that they needed to flex, if you will. Just, well, uh, you think it's just the climate. I that think they're just like let's get involved now, or yeah, let me let me let me dip my toe in the water and see what I could do and what the reaction is. I think that's really what it is. I mean, it, I think it's pure flexing a muscle, just like what what China is trying to do with, you know, stating if anybody sends any sort of uh, send any any sort of military aid to Taiwan, we consider that an act of war. And North Korea firing new ICBMs to God knows where, and and Iran just trying to test the waters. Technically speaking, if they did hit our U.S. consulate, that's considered to be an act of war. Plain and simple. I mean, when you're attacking sovereign U.S. territory, that's considered an act of war. Um, but I think they know that they can push the envelope on this and not have any sort of repercussions that occur from something like that. So I think that that's what's that's what's happening. I think we're going to be seeing more of this um, because of the lack of response to to Russians' aggressions toward Ukraine. And I get it. People keep talking, you know, the last thing we want to do is start World War Three. I think we're we're <laughs> we're we're a couple a couple muscle flexes away from World War Three to to be quite honest. And at this point, it's it's you know either you do it now or you do it later. Take your pick on 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 when you want to get involved. Cause I think I think eventually it's gonna happen. I don't think you know Vladimir Putin all of a sudden is gonna have this epiphany and say, oh, you know what? This is probably a bad idea. We should probably pull back. And then all of a sudden the whole world go- goes back to, to normal and, and everybody's happy. <clears throat> it's, it's not going to happen. I mean, R- Russia is on track to be ruined for at least a generation financially. Okay. Economically speaking, they are ruined. So Putin has to go all in at this point to really make it all worth it. Like he really needs to resurrect the USSR to make this aggression toward Ukraine worth it because they are ruined on, on, on the world stage from an economic standpoint. And I think one thing that's forgotten about in this whole, the mix of everything is people think that this is going to be something that's, that was quick, you know, either they got in, got the whole thing, or they just got in and started, you know, getting their, their butt whooped. And then they kind of ran out with their tail between their legs. People are forgetting that they, they occupied Afghanistan for how many years, you know, dozen yeah, years. So this idea that Russia is quick to give up or, you know, they'll occupy for as long. I mean, look at the United States. How long did we occupy Afghanistan? You know, yeah. 20 years. I mean, this, well, I mean, there, but there's a difference though. I mean, did we really occupy it in the same sense that, that Russia did? I mean, did we, did we brutalize citizens there in the same way that Russia did? 
No, no I, but that's I not had, what I'm saying. No, I, I yeah, I, I get what you're saying. I mean, look, we didn't we didn't occupy the territory to take it over as like whatever the 51st state or something, which is kind of what Russia was was essentially trying to do. I, from my understanding, is that they were basically using Afghanistan to try to I think gain access to to the Indian Ocean for trade routes or something to that effect. Or at least to to help with with trade routes to the to the Indian Ocean or to whatever whatever the hell you want to call it over there the the Arabian Sea, whatever. Um, but it, it, they they brutalized the people of Afghanistan. So there was a medical resident that I worked with about fifteen years ago who was who was Afghani. Um, he was a kid when he came here from Afghanistan, and he grew up in California. Did you know? grammar school, middle school, high school, college, everything in the US. And I sat with him one day, we we're just we we're just talking. I was like, and he told me that he was he was in Afghanistan as a kid, as, as a little boy, when the Russians were there. He, he told me that, that the Russians would basically get like, toys or stuffed animals, and rig them with with explosives. And leave them like at the side of the road, kind of like almost like IEDs. And kids would go up to them, pick them up, not knowing what the hell they were, and they'd get blown to bits by this. I mean that that's that's the the type of that's the type of military you're fighting against. You're fighting against pure evil at that point. They're no different from like the insurgents in 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 Iraq or Afghanistan. When you when you do shit when you have no absolutely no regard for for innocent human lives at all, you're you're considered pure evil. Okay, so when you have that concept in place, okay, and it's all led by a maniac who wants to resurrect the USSR, and we know he wouldn't stop at Ukraine. He'd he'd keep trying to invest or invest. He tried to invade westward into other NATO nations like Poland and, and, and all those other Eastern European nations and try to basically take over the rest of Europe altogether. Where do we think this is going to go? It's, it's certainly not going to stop at in, 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 in Ukraine. And if nothing is done, that's going to show other, other, other bullies out there, like the Chinese, like the Iranians, and it's going to basically tell them, well, then you could do whatever the hell you want to. Mm. Okay. I think there, there's so many of these countries, ourselves included, that just don't want war at this point. And that's exactly why these countries are taking the I, taking the initiative and in, in going and flexing on these other countries, like you said, with yeah. China and in regards to Taiwan. And, you know, last week we mentioned this, the, the, everything that's in the Balkans in in. You know, and now Iran shooting missiles into Iraq. Like, it's just this constant, I don't know. It's very, very volatile, you know. And the yeah. thing is, like, these these journalists, which we we look to, right, because we want to see, see the story of what's going on. We want to know what's going on in these, these wars, war-torn areas, and get a firsthand perspective. But then we have Brent Renaud, getting killed a u.s journalist while he's doing coverage in ukraine and it's interesting because we just got over the olympics where there was no gunfire there was no missiles being lofted there's no mortar shells falling and the united states covered the olympics from a studio in stafford stratford connecticut or stanford connecticut yeah isn't it kind of funny? I mean, there's there's no chance of life being lost in the Olympics, but we're not going into that area. But here we go. This is like people are getting blown up. People are being displaced. And we yeah. have journalists going into these areas. It's crazy. They're both they're they're, they're very brave. They're very brave. They are. And and just today just today was announced that um a Fox News journalist or cameraman journalist was also killed he was killed initially i saw that he was injured he must have succumbed to his injuries so his actual journalist um benjamin hall he was the journalist that would would report regularly i don't know if he was in kiev or in lviv but he was injured but apparently his cameraman was was killed 
His cameraman was Pierre. Let me see if I can find it. Uh, Pierre Zagruski Zagruski killed in in Ukraine. Um, so he was with Fox journalist Benjamin Hall when their vehicle was struck by incoming fire. Guy was fifty five years old, had a wife and kids. Um, the, these are people with you know going into a war zone unarmed just to you know chronicle what's going on. These people have balls, to be quite honest. And the, these are these are true journalists that that are very brave, as opposed to those that you know just sit and write op-ed pieces that really aren't journalism at all. Uh, the, these are the people that, that really deserve a lot of credit for what they do. Well, I think this doubt. is these are these are actual reporters, right? I think a lot of times the the term reporter gets confused because a lot of times it's just somebody, like you said, a pundit that's sitting behind a desk that's just passing along their personal opinion, which all intents and purposes we are too, but that's, this is our gig. It is what it is. Yeah. But we, we don't claim to be journalists at all. No, we do not claim to be journalists. <laughs> Let that get first and foremost. Um, but it's just, you know, these are the people they're, they're, they're witnessing it firsthand. They're talking about what happened. I mean, there's footage from Normandy, you know, we mentioned Saving Private Ryan, where they reenacted that that beach storming scene. They wouldn't have been able to do it had it not been for journalists that were there, you know, yeah. filming it and, and you would get an accurate description. I mean, granted, you know, they, they leaned on a lot of people that were actually there to kind of get their firsthand accounts to, to, you know, make it as authentic as possible. But, you know, these people just... Just because they're reporting, it doesn't mean that they're not in danger themselves. And this is just, yeah, this is, you know, verifies that. Exactly. And, and, you know, when you're, when you're in an area where there's indiscriminate bombing and killing of civilians, I mean, you're easily a target too. Easily. I mean, you're not immune to any of this, unfortunately. And it's, it's just sad that that things transpired the way they did. Yeah, it really is. So our thoughts go out to, to Brent Renaud and his family, and uh, as well as the Fox reporter. What's his name? Um, Pierre. Let's see here. Pierre Zakruski. Z- Z- yeah. Yeah. 55 years old. Sad. Sad. Yep. Without a doubt. So but, I mean, who's... Gold... Okay, go ahead. Sorry, just, you know, going back to what we were talking about before in terms of people saying, like, we don't want war and all that other stuff. And I I don't think anybody does. I I don't think anybody really wants to get involved in any in any particular in any conflict whatsoever at this point, especially with us. I mean, we've been we've been involved in the Middle East for 20 years. And I guess you could say we're kind of out of it in some way, shape or form. Um, so we just got done with that and now we'd potentially get involved with something else. But, you know, I'm thinking about this and not that my opinion really matters on the whole thing, but like what we were talking about before, it's like, you know, it's like either we get involved now or we get involved later. And this is exactly what happened to us in World War One and in World War Two, And eventually we're dragged into it, whether we want to or not. So I think we're sitting I mean, this out in the meantime because we're waiting to see. There's a large population in Russia that doesn't want this war, and we're seeing uh-huh. it in, in these form of protests all the time. In fact, did you see this this uh, reporter in Russia? She was yeah. She, yeah at the desk, and all of a sudden behind her, this guy with this, a sign and everything. So this this invasion is not popular in Russia amongst its citizens. No, it's not. It's not. Um, but there is a large portion of the population as well that is subject to the to the propaganda from from the state run media to tell them that this is something necessary that they're doing or that it's not there is no war going on whatsoever. So when you get mixed messages like that in a population, there's a lot of confusion and it can it, you know, it's not going to be an overwhelming portion of the population that is going to be that is going to overthrow the government to say, we need to put an end to this. You're going to have your dissenters and you're going to have your, your, your allies in something like this. So I, I don't know how that's going to turn out in Russia at this point. I have no idea. I think, and I think with journalists, journalists leaving Russia, really reporting on what's going on there on the ground, uh, within the, within the civilians is it, it's hard to judge right now. I don't know which way it's going to go to be quite honest. 
But I mean, like what, I, so what I, you know, the reason why I mentioned that, whether we get involved now or we get involved later, yeah, we don't, we don't really want to get involved at all if we don't have to, but I think it kind of keys me back to, to this one quote and I'm trying to find who actually said it. Apparently the person who everybody thinks says it is not the actual person that says it, but the quote itself is the only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. And I think that's kind of what we're seeing transpire right now. And it's almost like we're in this holding pattern to see how things are going to go. And we're waiting and we're waiting and we're waiting and we're doing virtually nothing. And yes, we're helping the Ukrainian people as much as we possibly could. But I mean, eventually with such a large force coming from Russia, eventually they're going to get overwhelmed. And if we don't do anything now, we're going to have to do something later. And it might only be worse later. Are we going to probably going to have to deal with China? Probably. I wouldn't doubt it. Are we going to have to deal with Iran? Probably. I wouldn't doubt it. Are we going to have to deal with another conflict potentially arising out of the Balkans? It's very possible. So I think from my perspective, and not that I'm bloodthirsty or anything, or not that I'm a warmonger or anything, but I think eventually it's going to spill into that. So you're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't. The ramifications, though, of, of having an, a conflict with Russia are just exponential. Because, I mean, think yeah. about just even with supply chain issues coming from China right now, just yeah. with our own vehicles, with you know yep. our electronics, with our, you know, with electronics, you mentioned electronics, and not just like it's not just talking about like a, a laptop or a TV or a, you know, I almost said VCR, but a DVD, whatever the case may be. <laughs> but like we, we start talking about cell phones, right? Yeah. Cell phones, how important are cell phones today? You know, just sure. basic communication. I mean, I don't even have a house phone. You, you, I mean, you might for you know people might for like uh, you know home security systems or what have you. Yeah. But even then, I mean, some of those are just they're they're run on Wi-Fi. But it's it's just it. We need we need these chips. I I agree. I agree. And and I think and the way I foresee this is that I think I think we're where we have a couple years of rough roads ahead of us. Whether we get into a, a wider conflict or not. Um, I, I think it's really gonna it's really gonna put a hurt on us, on, on not just on us but on the worldwide economy altogether. Mm-hmm. I think what it if there is a silver lining in all of it, and it's looking more long term, is that I think it'll almost be a repeat of what happened with us in World War II. Like World War II really shook us up to get our economy going fiercely probably as fierce as it would have been from since, you know, the initial uh, uh, industrial revolution. Uh, You know, what's happened to us over the years is that we've gotten very content with outsourcing manufacturing to other countries overseas and especially to China. And if we do come out of this victorious, although probably relatively injured and scarred, I think it's a huge wake-up call for us to realize we need to repatriate as much of that, um, as much of that manufacturing as we possibly can. We have to. I mean, from everything from certain food items to uh, to uh, computer chips for vehicles, for for other uses for electronics, all the way to pharmaceuticals. Even yeah, I was going to say even pharmaceuticals. About 80% of our pharmaceuticals, whether it's finished products or active pharmaceutical ingredients, are produced overseas, and the vast majority of those are produced in China. So again, it, you know, we need to get our shit together because China has us by the balls. It's not, it's not just about a shooting war with China. It's about the fact that they could, they could basically block all of their exports to us altogether, and China can bring us to our knees. Like people don't realize that it's it's not about a shooting war with China. China doesn't want to get into a shooting war with us because we have significantly more firepower than they do. They have a lot more people, but we have significantly more firepower. Our navy is gigantic compared to theirs. 
our air force is gigantic compared to theirs. Okay. We have the firepower, but where they got us by the balls is our economy and via cyber attacks. They can easily bring us to our knees there. So, like I said, if there is a silver lining in all this and the U.S. does arise from this relatively unscathed or victorious, we really need to take a hard look at this whole, this whole thing with, with repatriating manufacturing back to the United States. Mm-hmm. We have to. It's, it's literally it's a matter of national security. People don't understand that. It really, really is. So that's that's my take on it personally for what it's worth (laughs) but here we have a united states company that's getting into um basically putting ukrainians back on the internet right we have starlink uh, Mm -hmm. who just contributed a a large amount of product um elon musk of course issued a disclaimer (laughs) like hey just so you guys know wherever you guys put this stuff it's going to make you a target yeah which was wise because you don't realize Okay, that's now the hub of uh, of communication wherever these Starlink yeah. things go up. But did you see he uh, he basically started tweeting to Putin, calling him out, saying uh, that he's he's challenging him to single combat. Now, what single combat is? I have no idea. I'm reading every article that I said that that you know mentions this. Um, everything that I came across, it's just you know at the end they're just like it's unknown what what kind of combat this is, really is. So nobody knows what single combat is. You might have your own idea. Um, but it's funny that he, he, he I, went to, to personally, saying, do you agree with this fight? I I would personally recommend they, that he challenge him to a mortal combat instead. <laughs> but so, but does that mean at the end he has to yell, get over here, one of them? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then rip his head off. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I I mean, it's, you know, like, like I, so I know when we first started this, this podcast, we talked about Elon Musk and, and I wasn't a huge fan of him back then, but I, he's grown on me significantly in the past two years. And I, I, I just, I like the guy. I, I think he's, he's a straight shooter. Um, very intelligent and he, he does a lot of good shit. And I, and I think, I, I think wholeheartedly i think he's he's a realistic person i mean for a person who has probably one of the largest and well-known electric car manufacturers on the face of the earth he called he was realistic in saying that we need to pump more oil here temporarily at least to really to really meet with the demands that that are going to come up if we if we really do cut off russia from from the world for for supplying the rest of the world oil there's going to be a big shortage, so it's got to come from somewhere. And I mean, he easily could have could have you know sat out of that argument, but instead he got into it and knew, realistically speaking, we need more oil, and the U.S. really does need need to produce it. So he's he's growing on me. Yeah, and for good reason, like the like you just said. But it's interesting to me because you know you have somebody like him who puts his money where his mouth is. He sends products to Ukraine. He challenges Putin to a fucking duel, you know? <laughs> and meanwhile, like, I, I see an article today with the headline, Elon Musk mocks people supporting Ukraine. I mean, I didn't, I, I looked for the actual tweet and I, I couldn't find it. It was basically, oh, <laughs> I found it. So here, I'll share it with you. Sure. So, so you could see it. It's just, it's, Elon Musk is somebody that you, you got to under, like he does, he has a different sense of humor. And in fact, I would look at this and be like, that's pretty funny. Right. <laughs> like, yeah. okay. So if you haven't seen it, it's basically a, a circular a drawing it has a, a, a person in the middle with a, a little Ukrainian flag and it just says, I support the current thing. But it's it's funny because, to me, it's funny because you, you have people, and you know, you and I have both used the term virtue signaling, right? Yep. And it's something that, you know, you see a lot of people, and, you know, how many social media influencers are probably riding this thing? Like, it's the thing to do is to just support Ukraine without really yep. understanding anything about it, which, I mean, 
all right, cool. You're supporting the right side. But do you know why you're supporting it? No, they don't. Do you even know what's going on? They have on no there? idea. Nope. Right. A lot of these people don't. They have no idea. And it's funny because, so I, I, when you brought that up, the first thing that came to mind was virtue signaling. And I think what, what he's doing there is that he's mocking the idea of virtue signaling because people just want to you know want to get ahead of everybody else to say oh i support this newest cause because it's the latest and greatest and i i agree with him i i i kind of mock these people as well because most people have no fucking clue what what they're what they're talking about or when they when they say oh you know support this or support that let me fucking break seriously i mean if you're if you're that good on 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 current global affairs god bless you and Tell me exactly what you're saying by, or what you're doing by saying, oh, I support this cause or I support that cause. And it's funny because a lot of the people that get out there and, and do these things on social media and change their profile picture to the Ukrainian flag or something like that, these are the same people that, that, that would openly vote for a socialist or, or, or a self-proclaimed communist. Okay? Just because it would make them look cool amongst their constituents. Exactly. Exactly. Which again goes to show that they have no fucking clue what they're talking about or what they're doing. So if, if you want to support Ukraine, if you want to support them directly, get on a flight, get your ass over there, put on a Kevlar vest, pick up an AK-47 and bring the fight to the Russians if you really want to do something. Or donate to a charity that that is that is is trying to really help the, the Ukrainian people, the refugees, the soldiers, everything. If you want to do it indirectly, you know what you do. You stop supporting politicians that want totalitarian power here in the United States. Okay, that's what you do. If you really want to support the idea of what's happening in Ukraine. Don't openly vote for a socialist or a communist. That makes absolutely no fucking sense whatsoever. And on the flip side of that, don't idolize a single politician because they fit your narrative. Okay? That's really what it comes down to if you really want to support what's going on in Ukraine as opposed to just changing your profile picture to the Ukrainian flag or hashtag I stand with Ukraine. Fuck out of here. That bullshit. Haven't seen many people with like a like a temporary Facebook photo that has like their photo with like the Ukrainian flag kind of superimposed over them. Yeah, I'm surprised. Get out of here, <laughs> that garbage. Speaking of people who are virtue signaling and those people that would typically jump on that little bandwagon to support whatever cause they think it is a uh, flavor of the week, we shall say, would be one Joy Bear of the View, lovely lady. Yep. <laughs> um, it's. I love seeing people like this put their foot in their mouth. Mm -hmm. Love it. I, because it's somebody who's so vocal. See, what a lot of people don't realize is Joy Bear was an accomplished comedian. Good comedian. She was a really good comedian. Whoopi Goldberg, same thing. In fact, what a lot of people don't know about Whoopi Goldberg is she had a bit way back in the day where the whole thing revolved around somebody getting an abortion with a coat hanger that was the punchline jesus <laughs> yeah like it was one of those things but that's i enjoy comedy so i could appreciate different methods of comedy including very dark comedy i love it and a lot of people don't get it and it's morbid it is what it is but i could find humor in it it is what it is you speak your mind you, you speak your mind and you and you, you and you bring up the dark parts of humanity it is yeah exactly exactly so both of them were very good, successful comedians. The thing is, is that they joined this show called The View, and all of a sudden, everybody leans on them for their political discourse. And not, I mean, not everyone, but you'll have people who are typically, you know, the ones that'll throw their hat in because they got nothing going on because they just stay home all day, and that's why they're watching The View. So what she did was basically talk about how, you know, she had this trip planned for Italy. I don't know if it's timeshare, whatever the case may be, but she goes on to complain about it. She goes on to complain the fact that she hasn't been able to go there because for two years there was COVID. And, you know, she's talking about this whole conflict in Ukraine. And she's like, you know, people, they just want to go to Italy, you know, and then it can't, you know, because for two years it was COVID, you know, and now this, like it's this big inconvenience that she can't go to Italy. Meanwhile, 
1.5 million people, I think, at this point have been displaced going to other countries, neighboring countries. 2.7. 2.7. Wow. A million people off. That's how far I was. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Meanwhile, people are being killed in the streets. Meanwhile, exactly. homes are being bombed. Meanwhile, maternity yeah. wards are being bombed. Meanwhile, hospitals in general are becoming in bomb, you know, are, are being bombed. Like these are real catastrophes. And you know, it, it, we'll, we'll segue into Saudi Arabia in just a moment, but these are actual problems that people have. And she's complaining about a trip to Italy. Do you want to talk about more disconnected from reality? Mm-hmm. Did you actually see the oh, video? Yeah. Did you see this? Video? No, I did not. I, I did not see the video, but I mean, I can, I, I can also see some people kind of, I mean, taking uh, taking it to an extreme, but I, I have not seen the video, so I, I can't comment too much on on her on her demeanor and and the way she presented it. So, but if, if you play it, I mean, I, then I can I can probably give you some more constructive commentary. It, 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 yeah, it's I'm, <laughs> I'm gonna try to find it, but um, but all I could find right now is it's like people talking about it from from other perspectives, um, and it shouldn't be this long video that i'm looking for um let's see if i can uh <laughs> i i think i have okay it here. here we go i'll i'll, I'll show okay. you i think it's somebody else basically talks about it which is basically what we're going to do but we'll uh, do this here so we'll play this just from here, and then when it cuts out. Well, I'm scared of what's going to happen in, in Western Europe, too. The ladies of The View oh, see, weighed in. I don't really care what Graham O'Neill has to say. <laughs> I haven't been able to make it because of of uh, the pandemic. And now this, you know, it's, yeah. it's like, who's going to, what's going to happen there? She then went on. Like, oh, yeah, what's going to happen there? I mean, this is so such an inconvenience. And I don't know that the whole, that he has that much support in his country, yeah, like you say. And maybe that has to be addressed because we've seen this movie before. Yeah. In the last century. I've that loved- movie has been, a, that has been, a, by who? Who's going to address that? Listen, Putin, your, your, your own country doesn't like it. And us from The View are here to give you a stern talking to. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, you, you get yeah. the gist of it just from those clips that I was able to share, but... I I mean I, I don't know I I I mean I'm I'm not a huge fan of of Joy Behar in fact I'm not a fan at all to be quite honest but I think I I mean not not to defend her but it seems like she's kind of expressing frustration in all of it and and rightfully so I totally get it. I mean past two years have been a shit show with the pandemic and and now you have this you have this war that's going on in Eastern Europe that can easily spread into the rest of Europe within a matter of days to be quite honest i don't know um, man i just feel like it's one of those humble brags you know like ah, you yeah know, i, I got this so. trip coming up to italy but you know i have to reschedule because you know some people are fucking dying over there and some yeah, shit like that there's that whole but thing. <laughs> yeah <laughs> i mean okay i get it i mean there's really nothing going on in the mediterranean in the western europe but if you are to plan a vacation i do it now as opposed to waiting three months or something where that conflict may potentially spill over into the area. Listen, I, I still got family in Italy and my, my mother talks to them on a somewhat regular basis and they're, they're worried as shit right now. I was going to ask they're you, very the perspective worried of somebody living in another part of the world? Um, it, they're, they're worried. Mm-hmm. Their, their energy prices are going through the roof because as with any other country in Europe, I mean, especially Italy, they're heavily reliant on on um, on energy from Russia. So if they're being cut off, if you think our fuel prices are are horrific now, they've been bad in Italy for a while before all this bullshit started. So now that this happened, their 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 energy prices are going to go through the roof. So they're very worried about that. Even in you know, like I have. I have cousins who own um, who own basically a tire shop in, in Southern Italy, and they go to the Czech Republic on a regular basis to go pick up new tires and bring them back to Italy to their shop. And for them, it's like, you know, it's like us traveling to, I don't know, maybe Montreal or something like that. So they do that, I don't know, once a month, maybe. 
if, if I were to hazard a guess, or once every couple of weeks. So they travel to the Czech Republic, and to do that now, it, there's significant risk in terms of borders being shut down and all that other stuff. So it, it's it, it's it, it's a very tenuous situation in in all of Europe at this point. But if I were her, if I were to do it, I'd do it now as quickly as she possibly could and get her ass back here. I wouldn't wait any longer to do it, to be quite honest. The civis in support of Joy Bear going to Italy. Go to Italy. Have a blast. Maybe she'll get stuck there. Not literally, figuratively <laughs> speaking. Oh, God. Poor choice of words. We're talking about dark humor. <laughs> well, the shoe fits. <laughs> so um you know talking about how some people's problems are insignificant compared to others um 81 put to death in in saudi arabia in a, in a yep. mass execution what's your take on this because I, it's not like people were murdered you know or <laughs> murdered or put to death um for no reasons. I mean, there was crimes. There were, they said they ranged from belonging to militant groups um, to basically just killings um, in their own country. Majority of them were Saudi. There was some, a couple from Yemen, and uh, there was one Syrian. No idea how these executions were carried out or even where these executions took place. But in Saudi Arabia, I don't, I don't think they're bluffing. No, they don't exactly have um, appeals for these for these court cases. Yeah. So, so typically, from this, uh, from what I'm reading here, typically death row inmates are beheaded. That's Jesus. The, the, so, could you imagine eighty one people just 80, 81 heads just chopped into a box? Like, what, what do you do? Do you get like a dumpster? Or like, how do you carry this out? I have like, no are idea. You, are they put in a line and you're just waiting to just? All right, next. Uh, I don't know. It's it's pre it's pretty horrific to to think about, to be quite honest. But um, yeah, they're 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 no joke on what they do. I mean, how they go about these types of things. But uh, <laughs> I think it'd make people think twice about committing crimes, to be quite honest. So I was looking. So I'm just looking at parts of the article. So it says the number of executed surpassed even the toll of a January 1980 mass execution for the 63 militants convicted of seizing the Grand Mosque in Mecca in 1979, the worst ever militant attack to target the kingdom and Islam's holiest site. So yeah, they don't dick around. Is the, is the way I could put it lightly. <sighs> it's insanity. Yeah, but Jesus, I can't go to Italy. My goodness. Yeah, meanwhile. But I mean, like I said, I mean, it's not like these people were put to death for no apparent reason. They weren't just like walking yes. to, to the local grocery store and like, well, we need number 81 and we got you. So, I mean, these are members of militant groups, like I said, you know, mm -hmm. or, or, or people that have killed, which here in the United States, states that still carry out the death penalty, they, you know, you might face that for for a killing as it is here in Connecticut. It's interesting to see just uh, people that were on death row and just the way that they've kind of just kind of integrated into different facilities. Uh, like all of a sudden they were kept isolated on death row, basically like waiting to die. And now they're just just another just another inmate walking around with the rest of the population. And we do it a little more humanely here. We just do it by. Uh, lethal injection. Yeah, we don't just lop their heads off. Yeah, well, they're yeah, like like a fucking chicken at a slaughterhouse. <laughs> Jesus Christmas! Holy yeah. cow! I mean, like, did they take one in? They do it, and then they like they they cleaned up. All right, next one comes in. Like you figure, like, like what would, would, would they use the guillotine? It's I'm thinking they have, like, it's Saudi Arabia. It's got to be one of those giant swords, right? They have like the like you know a, a a guy like a big burly dude with a gimp mask on and a giant axe that just fucking hacks your head off, dude. I, if you had to be one of them, do you want to be number one or do you want to be number eighty one? I don't know. I don't want to be any of them to be honest. Got to be one. Got to be one. Pick one. 
57. 57, right in the middle? Yeah. Everybody remembers the first. Everybody remembers the last. You just want to be lost in the mix up there. I'm thinking yep. I want to be number one. Just I want to walk so you don't in. Have to deal with the rest. I don't want to watch. You know, you don't know. Like just, I said, I don't let's know. Just pull the tape off. You don't know if these guys are just sitting around waiting, like they're standing yeah. in a line. Well, just everybody's shitting themselves. It's just got to smell awful. Well, you you got to wonder too. Like, you know, do they sharpen the sword in between? Good question. Or are you getting hacked with a dull blade by the end? I mean, I want to be number one. I want the, the executioner when he's when he's like fresh. Like he just warmed up. Stretched. You got right. to maybe good. He, yeah. Like, I don't know. Like, does the executioner, it, does he like, does he just like warm up by just hacking up some watermelons or something? Does he warm up? Or is number one the warm up? Yeah. Like, does he, does he do like, because if like number one is swing number like one shoulders right <laughs> just shake some does he sharpen the sword does he because do calisthenics one, beforehand right if number one is the first swing like there's no warm-ups like you're like a sunday golfer that just shows up no range time just takes his first swing i don't want to be number like one me. anymore <laughs> yeah i don't want to be number one anymore i want to drop to like maybe number 10. <laughs> like i, I, like, I want to well because the thing is is 57 there's a good chance there's going to be some fatigue we don't know if this is a heavy sword that is true. If it's like that, that scimitar or whatever that they use in the in, in the Middle East, <laughs> I mean, that, I'm sure that, that thing's got to have some mass to it. So yeah, number, maybe number five, between five and ten, because I want him to have some reps in, so he's nice and warmed up. It's a good clean a good point. I'm I'm done. I don't want it to be like he made it halfway through. Yeah, and like he's got he, the blood flowing. He's got right, he's, he's kind of like, wor- working like, up a little bit of a lather. <laughs> like you know you're chopping wood you don't make it through all the way you got to like kind of use your foot to pry it out and try again like i don't want that to be me i wanted to just go right through <laughs> oh god yeah you get you, the axe gets stuck you got to hit it with a sledgehammer yeah try to force yeah. it through yeah yeah no, it's just a you. mess it's a mess i want one slice right through i don't want two he might miss and like what if it happens again but see, here, here's the thing, though. If it's a clean, if it's a clean slice, then you still may have several seconds while you know your 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 severed head is looking at your lifeless body. So you're like, oh fuck, and then you know everything goes black after that. You know, whereas just a second, I'll you forget know, about it. By by fifty seven, the blade might be dull. It might might require several hacks, and at that point, the pain is so bad that you just pass out before your head is actually separated from the rest of your body. Yeah, think about it. Your neck is crushed. <laughs> <laughs> okay, good point. <laughs> <laughs> it's probably a little more painful at that point. Yeah. Kind of an interesting dialogue we just had going back and forth on on executions. I like it. Yeah. So Bill Maher has been defending this Florida law that a lot of people have dubbed "Don't Say Gay." Are you familiar with it? So between I'm, the ages, I've heard of it, but I'm not too I'm not too familiar with it. Well, the funny thing is, is the first couple of days that it was talked about in the news, it was just like you know they, they of course the news is slanted kind of you know more towards progressive idea, and there's there's saying you know they don't want kids to be exposed to the idea of what homosexuality is or you know the LGBTQ um, is that that whole idea is being you know discounted or thrown out the window. We don't want kids to learn about it, but that's not what it is. What it is is the fact that we're saying it has nothing to do with just homosexual sex. It has to do with heterosexual sex as well. They're hmm. saying between the ages of kindergarten and I, th- I forget what it is, maybe fourth grade, third or fourth grade, kids should not be talked about sex with, which I completely agree. It's nice to see somebody like Bill Maher getting behind this idea and supporting another more conservative idea. I mean, at what age did you start learning about sex? I think it was like fifth grade. It was like it was it, fifth or sixth grade. It was it was introduced to me, and of course, you know, yeah. the neighborhood kids that were a couple of years older, you get kind of that talk. You know, did you know what we're learning about today? Yeah. We're learning about. Sex. I got a Playboy under my bed. Yeah, I mean, everybody has. <laughs> Where did you get it? Where did you get it? 
<laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. By the time it found its way to your store. grubby little paws. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I don't know. It's I, I agree with that. I mean, I, I don't, you know, this whole idea that you get kids that are, you know, under, you know, younger than puberty age. I don't see a real reason why you should be teaching them any of this, any sort of sex education. The whole thing about about homosexuality or any of that other stuff. I mean, I think if anything, and again, this is my my opinion on the matter. It's not a matter of teaching the sexuality behind it, but more so, not that you need to understand it and accept it, but more so just respect the people who who have that orientation i i don't see anything wrong with something like that but i think before you know before any sort of puberty there's really no reason to be touch, teaching any of this to kids they, they they have no they have no frame of reference for that they, they don't understand what any of that is what any of that means so why bother putting in that effort it just doesn't make any sense right I mean, listen, there's a reason movies, they have the rating like PG-13 and there's like R ratings and NC-17 and all this because there's some subject matter that just it is inappropriate for kids to learn about. And I wholeheartedly support that idea. Like, you know, yeah. that girlfriend, her, her daughters are, are five and nine years old. I don't want them talking about that. Yeah. I mean, I'm not even, I don't, what, what say do I have? They're her kids. But... <laughs> Still, I you know, like, I, I don't think that's a, a subject matter for them. Uh-huh. I agree. So we covered pretty much everything that we had set forth. You, uh, you, you had wanted to mention um, how young the Ukrainian members of parliament are. And the thing is, is that this is something that I've seen plenty of times. I, I, every time I see Zelensky on the news, I'm like, how old is this guy? He looks like he's a couple years younger than me. In fact, he's a couple years older than me, but not by much. He's 44 years old. Exactly. Exactly. So the article that I had posted was actually from 2019. So what it said there that the average age of members of parliament was about 41 years. And that's, and, and the reason why I brought this up is that, you know, as you're looking at, it doesn't matter the, 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 the news broadcast, whether it's Fox or CNN or anything like that. I mean, when they're interviewing some of these members of parliament, they're relatively young. I mean, they're, they're young looking They're And what I mean by that is that they seem like our age or younger. So like, you know, mid forties to, to mid thirties or something like that or within that range. And it, it was just impressive to see the, these very articulate people that are patriotic for their country. And I, you know, just for shits and giggles, is like, you know, how does that compare to our members of Congress here in the United States? And if you look at if you look at some of that information, so it says that I'm trying to scroll all the way to the top. So the average age of members of the House of Representatives at the beginning of the 117th Congress was 58.4 years of age. Okay. Meanwhile, these guys are 40s. Exactly. So, you know, you're talking the difference between people in their in their at the peak of their middle age versus those close to retirement. You're talking 17 years of difference in the average age of members of your of your elected representatives in the Senate. Average age is 64.3 years. I mean, what does that tell you? I mean, do we really need older, quote unquote, experienced people trying to run the country or do we need really young? Do we need relatively young, fresh minds to to give good ideas for how the country should be run? I mean, I would be more for younger, fresher minds to help run the country rather than some old crotchety bastards that have been there forever. Right, right. I mean, somebody like case in point, like a Nancy Pelosi, but you have it on the other side of the aisle too. You have like a Mitch McConnell who's been there. Forever. Absolutely. But the thing is, is this is yeah. where I would say, be careful what you wish for, because a lot of younger people tend to be more progressive leaning until they get a little bit older. That's true. And, they, they, and then they see, you know, the the swing. There's like a swing. I mean, I think I, I saw 
a quote one time, you know, if you're young and not a Democrat, you have no heart. But if you're old and not a conservative, you have no brain. Yeah, exactly. And as, as people get older and they, and they get into the workforce and they, you know, and they, and they make more money, they, they, they tend to vote more for their tax bracket as opposed to just for, for certain types of ideologies. Right. I think we saw that with so, like Bill Nye, the science guy, right? Or no, it was Dr. Oz, one of them. I think it's Dr. Oz that was talking about running for, for office. Mm-hmm. Yep, exactly. But it's interesting, you know, because it's not only just about, it's not term limits. We're not even talking about, is it term limits that from what you've read up about in Ukraine? Or is it just the fact that there's... No. I, <laughs> because when you first bring it up, I'm just like, well, right now there's a high turnover rate. <laughs> so we're, we just need to, to find replacements. Yeah, unfortunately. But yeah, like I said, I mean, this article was from two years ago. So almost three years ago. And I, and I think a lot of it was just like when Zelensky got got elected into office there was like a whole revamping of of their parliament altogether mm -hmm. um really to for a more for a more liberal or progressive and i and i don't want to say it's the same degree as here but more so like forward thinking type of ideology just to improve on the on the economics and the whole you know social standing of the of ukraine within the rest of the world so yeah um, I, it's just, it's just irritating just to kind of see our members of Congress and how old they are and just like the same washed up ideas and nothing gets done. So I don't know, it just, it was just something interesting I observed. Um, so I just figured I'd bring that up. Definitely. Definitely. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's interesting because, you know, we're starting to see here now with like midterm elections, coming up soon and you know we're talking about gas prices right we're just talking about energy prices and already there's been an initiative that's been um talked about to eliminate temporarily suspend the gas tax here in connecticut which could save up to 25 cents a gallon mm -hmm. which is just amazing because this is Pretty how much we're being yeah. tapped <laughs> yeah exactly this is how much we're being taxed per gallon on a regular basis yeah exactly yeah, but you know, midterms are coming up, and everybody's got to put up something. You know, people keep seeing high energy prices. People are going to go after the people that are in charge. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, that's exactly what happens. All right, folks, that's all I got this week. You? <sighs> How many problems you got? by everything? How many problems? Ninety-nine. 99. <laughs> uh, exactly. Jay-Z took the words right out of my mouth. <laughs> Folks, thank you for listening and sticking around past the hour mark. We know we exceeded the book. Why not? A lot going on. A lot going on, including trying to figure out which way you want to be executed. <laughs> All right, folks. Peace out. Peace. <laughs>